At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome, friends, to Infertility and Me podcast, a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind. I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight, two. Healing is best when done together. Could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. Welcome friends to Infertility and Me Podcast. Yes, it is I, it is me, it is she. Your host, Monique Farouk, here with another episode for you. This is a public episode and not an anonymous episode this week with our guest. Her name is Jessie. She is the host of a podcast called This Is My Truth Podcast, where she speaks to individuals who have gone through tumultuous situations, taboo type of situations such as infertility, um, LGBTQ plus issues. Guys, make sure you check her out. You can find her on Instagram at This Is My Truth Podcast, as well as on Facebook. And her website uh, will be linked in the show notes so that you can connect with Jess. Jessie speaks with us today about her unexplained infertility path to parenthood. And she became pregnant after a few, well, more than a few, I should say, unsuccessful IUI attempts, as well as some unsuccessful IVF attempts and so when she finally did become pregnant she was pregnant with twins a boy and a girl unfortunately her boy twin did not survive and her daughter was born prematurely and she went on to have a second daughter 23 months later another IVF attempt that was successful and so Jesse and her husband have two daughters both from we have treatment and we just talked today about the perfectionist personality type and the A-type woman and being successful and coming from a upper middle class home and having the tendency to always achieve whatever it is that she put her mind and her actions behind. And so I know, I know for certain that there are more than a couple of friends who listen to the pod who are in workspaces, businesses, who are similar personality types and you know it's just so hard when you are the seemingly or I hate to use labels but you know you have perfectionist tendencies you have high performing tendencies and a type tendencies 
and always wanting to be the overachiever or always being the overachiever. And so we really delve deeply into how Jesse struggled with that during the midst or in the thick of her path to motherhood. And she is very honest with us today, articulately honest with us today about what that was like for her, what her breaking point was. And when she realized that she could no longer live her life like this. And unfortunately for many of us, we do not have these epiphanies until after we have conceived through infertility and IVF treatments. And so I, I wanted to have Jess on because maybe you friend are struggling with similar tendencies and you really don't know how to navigate it. And you really are just trying to find strength in doing it all yourself. Or maybe you, you're so used to having a plan and sticking to it and it working the way Jess always did things in her life, whether it was her career or schooling and or any business ventures that she has done in the past. And so, yeah, we just get really deep into it, you guys. And my hope with this episode is that you will know that, look, girl or or guy or friend, you aren't the only one. You aren't the only one that suffered or is surviving infertility and all of those tendencies of perfectionism and a type and overachieving just totally knocked you off your butt, knocked you off your ass because you just <laughs> didn't foresee it coming. And then number two, you quickly realize going through infertility that none of anything that happens is within your control and there is a limit to what you can control as far as infertility goes. Now we can control how we eat. We can control how we sleep and things like that. But in terms of infertility and what we can do to increase our chances of conceiving, there's only but so much. There's a stopping point. And I think that when we are a type personalities, we really struggle with that because we know that if we do A, B, C, D, and E within our business, within our workplaces, that it will get us the one, two, three, or A, B, C, D, E results. And theoretically, of course. And so, yeah, I just had to, I just had to get Jess on to speak to us today. And hopefully you find some inspiration and hopefully friend with this episode, you will feel less alone and it will help you realize some things about yourself that maybe you could work on that you haven't been dealing with, you know, and and we also speak about vulnerability and how being vulnerable one with ourselves is important and for in order for us to be vulnerable with other people around us and which helps when you're going through infertility and you have a high profile job or a job that's very all consuming and you have someone that's above you that you have to report to. And so being honest with your workplace about of going through infertility and having all these appointments and such. So I hope that you find the inspiration that you need. I'm sure that you will through Jess's story, um, trigger warning, this story does include loss and it is a success story. So if you are not up to hearing either of the two, then I uh, encourage you to skip this episode, download it, but listen to another time and come back when you can. Of course, there's 80 plus other episodes for you to listen and binge on if you would like. 
if you need some other type of encouragement and comfort. And you can always email me at infertilityandmeatoutlook.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at infertilityandmepodcast, as well as my website, infertilityandmepodcast.com. You can submit on the website to be an anonymous guest if you'd like to come on and share your story. Whether you are in the thick of it or whether you have survived infertility, I would love to have you publicly and or anonymously. If you would like to come on anonymously, you can go right to the homepage and scroll down and you'll see the anonymous section where you can fill out the form and send it to me. Or you can use the get in touch tab and submit to be on the show and record with me publicly right on the website. And I thank you guys so much for being here with me on Infertility Me podcast. If this is your first time, please know that I do have a little one he is four years old and so you may hear him from time to time in this episode as well as other episodes if that is too distracting for you friend I do apologize but I am a work from home mom and so I still want to be able to bring you content thank you friends and we'll be right back with Jesse we're back with Jesse she has so graciously come on to the podcast to speak to us and to share her time and just be a voice for the voiceless. And so Jesse, I appreciate you so much, dear, for coming on the podcast and connecting with me and um, for creating your platform as well, which is a great podcast. You guys have to check that out. And it's called This Is My Truth Podcast, as I stated in the introduction. Uh, so Jesse, tell me, who are you and how would you define who you are now as opposed to before infertility? Well, first of all, Monique, I just want to say thank you for for having me on. And I love that you say a voice for the voiceless because, you know, before we hit record, we were just talking about how true that is. And I'm grateful for, for you creating the space. So thank you. Um, so who am I? I am a recovering perfectionist is the best way that I can frame that. Um I am someone who has lived my life in, you know, by everyone else's expectations. I, you know, I grew up in a, uh, you know, upper middle class neighborhood on Long Island. Um, I'm a white cisgendered female, and so I, I own, you know, some of the privilege that co- that comes with that. Um, and I you know, was fortunate enough to, to be able to go to a good college. And after I graduated college, I got a job in, um, in corporate America at, at Google. And, you know, it was one step after another and anything I put my mind to, I was good at. And I, I don't mean to sound conceited in, in saying that, no, but it was, totally good, yeah. It was just, it's just the truth. But when, when I was able to put my mind to something, I was successful at it. And I am someone who, you know, tends to be at, um, very type A and tends to, again, like have a plan and work the plan and, and see results from the plan. And I share that because my journey to becoming a mom was the first time for me where that like the rug was pulled out from under me and something that I so desperately wanted and so desperately um, thought I would be good at, I couldn't have. And it crashed my world in full transparency. I I know for sure that many of our listener friends, um, have experienced the same or similar 
or see themselves as being very similar to you, if not the same. Um, I've gotten DMs about this sort of thing. So, you know, when you say your world began to crumble after receiving your diagnosis based on your personality type uh, as a, you know, as a natural person that you are, when you say it began to crumble or you felt like it was crumbling or why did the diagnosis why do you think it, it, it broke you down other than being the A-type woman that you are? Was it because of the uncertainty of it? It's a really good question. I think that it, it's multifaceted. So for for me, um, you know, my husband and I, we met and we were friends first and we eventually started dating and then we eventually got married and we made an intentional decision not not to start our family right away. We both love to travel, mm-hmm. you know, when COVID's gone, we cannot mm-hmm. wait to travel again. Um, and so, you know, in the back of my mind, I always just assumed that when we made the decision to start our family, it would be really easy. You know, you, you hear people say like, you know, my partner just looked at me and we became pregnant. And I just, I just assumed it would be the same, the same for, for us. And, you know, that wasn't the case. We tried the natural way, um, for quite some time. And I remember going to my OBGYN and her recommending that, you know, it had been some time, so maybe we should try IUIs. And so we went down that path. And again, like, I was like, okay, we have a plan. Like, I'm, I'm good with plans. Like, I've got this. I can work the plan. It'll be successful. And that first failed IUI, I literally crumbled into a fetal position. Like, once I got my period, I literally, my husband had already left for work. I was coming out of the shower, and I just crumbled into a fetal position and cried like I just had this breakdown because there was this moment where I was like why is this happening to me and that was my first failed IUI I had four more after that and um we eventually started down the path of of IVF and similarly again I was like okay like we have a plan it's IVF right and what I didn't realize was that just because you're doing IVF does not mean that, you know, like everything's going to go perfect in your cycle. So I had several cycles that were canceled. I had um, several cycles that they were able to finally do an extraction, but we then would have to do a frozen embryo transfer. And it just was like this, it was like the universe was basically trying to teach me this lesson around like that something I wanted to control so desperately, I couldn't. Like, I I just wasn't able to control it in the way that I had controlled everything else in my life. And it was a really, really, really hard lesson. Um, I like to joke now that it was a lesson that was helpful in parenthood when we eventually got to that point. Um, But it was really, really hard for me because I was just someone, like I said, who when I put my mind to something, I was always able to figure out a way to achieve it. And this was just something that I just felt like I could not achieve. And it was was crushing to me. It was 
you know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I really could not understand why my body wasn't doing what it was like, quote unquote, supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of shame and guilt around my body. I had a lot of shame and guilt around the process. And, you know, at that point, my husband is older than me. A lot of his friends had already had kids. No one had gone through something like what we had gone through. And my friends, I was the first to to start our family and or try to start a family. And so I didn't have support. I didn't have, I felt really isolated and alone. Um, and so to deal with those emotions, I am really good at compartmentalizing. So I just, you know, shoved the emotions in a box and I like to say like <laughs> threw away the key. Um, and I just, I didn't deal with it, which also wasn't really, really healthy. Yeah. So what was your diagnosis uh, before you had your first IUI? So honestly, my diagnosis is undiagnosed infertility. They're not sure why I have never been able to conceive without the help of IVF. Um, My fertility doctor um, is always, he's, he's this South African gentleman um and he's just like the most calm calm soul but he'd always just be like your numbers are so puzzling and I'm like that's not helpful and again it was for someone who needed answers for someone who wanted something tangible to be able to latch on to it was yet another lesson of like you're just not going to get this answer and mm-hmm. you're just never going to know why you cannot naturally um have children How many IUIs did you guys end up going through? We went through um, four rounds of IUIs, and we were prepping for a fifth round of IUIs when my OBGYN ultimately recommended that we um, go to see our fertility, uh, what ended up being our fertility specialist. And so um, he made the recommendation that we actually not do our fifth round of IUI just because he was like, because we were doing IUIs with Clomid. He was like, at that point, it's... (laughs) not going to happen um and so we at that point we made the decision to start going down the path of IVF and so once you get to the point of needing IVF and you get your referral did you then begin to panic panic a little bit more because you you've already tucked away the feelings and you were gung-ho about sticking to your IUI plans and so when you get to the point of needing to be referred for IVF and setting up the consultations and it paint for us a picture what that time was like for you um in battling i i i see it as being a battle with the um emotional turmoil of infertility and then also the battle with your a-type tendencies yeah it's a good question so for me the journey you know where i was at an emotional low was when I felt like we didn't have a plan. Like when we would have a, a failed IUI and I wasn't sure like what the next step was. But as soon as I got that next step from my doctor, I felt like, okay, like there's a plan that I can I can latch on to. So for me, when they made the recommendation to IVF, it just sort of felt like the next plan that I 
I could like see myself latching onto. I did, you know, my my job in corporate America was one where I traveled very frequently. I at that point was on a plane four weeks of the month and uh, typically in several cities or states um, each week. And so I did have a lot of concerns and questions around like, how am I going to be able to manage this and my corporate job and, you know, still maintain a life. And I was really fortunate that the clinic that I, that I go to here in Chicago, um, they were amazing and they were able to like give me my schedule ahead of time, which is obviously pretty standard, but you know, I was able to overlay that with my travel schedule. And if I was needing to see a doctor for a sonogram while I was in LA, they would, they would give me a list of clinics that I could go to there. And so, um, you know, it was this crazy logistic situation, but I actually think it helped me from an emotional standpoint because I was able to, again, I was able to like latch on to something where I would see emotional lows was when, you know, I would have this, we would have our plan with IVF and I would get to a point, um, you know, where we would be in a cycle and my lining wouldn't have the three lines. And so they'd be, they'd tell me like it got canceled or, um, one of my numbers spiked and it, it got canceled. And so, you know, I was, I was seeing a therapist at the time which I found extremely helpful for myself. And she recommended that instead of latching on to, you know, like the end goal of like a successful embryo transfer, that I should focus on like micro goals. So like a micro goal being like getting through a sonogram appointment and and like checking that and like celebrating that. And then the next one being like getting through another, you know, the next sonogram appointment. And so being able to break it into smaller tangible um, milestones was really helpful for me. It was, like, it was a way to sort of like hack my brain to give it like the quote unquote, like success that it needed, even though I might not have gotten to like the, the end, the end result. So we went through, um, three canceled IVF cycles. And then ultimately we were able to get, um, an extraction and, um, we, I believe we ended up with, um, seven eggs. So again, like my numbers, given my age, I was um, not even 30 when I started IVF. Um, I was just never able to produce a lot of, of eggs um, for, for my age and given the amount of like hormones that they were prescribing me. And so, um, you know, we, were, we eventually got to that point and then we ended up with um, three viable embryos at the end of that. And so we weren't, we didn't do a fresh transfer, um, but we, we did do a frozen transfer the next cycle. And um, we found out that we were having um, twins. We had, we had transferred two embryos and so we obviously knew that was a possibility. Um, and ultimately, um, Again, this is another situation where mm-hmm. my brain, being the perfectionist that that I am, was like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Like it was successful. 
oh my gosh, what am I going to do with twins? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we started, we went down the pregnancy and we were able to sort of graduate from our fertility clinic. And it wasn't until um, the second trimester that we started to um, have conversations with, with my OBGYN that there was something really, really wrong with our son. And so we were, we ultimately had to make a medical decision that, um, um, saved my, my daughter's life and, and my life, but, but cost us the life of our son. And I just remember at that point, um, being, you know, it's, it's all of the emotions, right? Like the Mm -hmm. why me, like, again, the perfectionist in me was like, I don't understand how this can be happening. You know, I was, we went through so much to get to the the positive pregnancy test. And then why are we being, you know, asked to make these decisions? Why are we in this situation? Um, and obviously I will, I'll never know the answer to that. But what I, what I can reflect on now is it has made me, um, a more compassionate person. It has made me a more empathetic person. Um, and it has made me realize that every single one of us as humans deals with a lot of things that we don't allow other people to see, right? That there's a lot below mm-hmm. the surface if you use like right. the iceberg analogy. And so, um, you know, while I'll never understand the why behind what we went through, I am grateful for a lot of the lessons that it has taught me because it it has made me frankly a better human yeah yeah wow wow and I'm so sorry for your loss how old is your is is your your daughter um your now your oldest daughter from that pregnancy she will be five at the end of March so she was actually um early uh which they had prepped me um at least like they said that because it was a multiples pregnancy that she could come early. Um, and so she did. But um, she'll be five at the end of March. Wow. Wow. Time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Oh, it gosh. really does. Wow. We were going through things about the same time. My son just turned four so in January. So we were all going through it in the same 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 time frame. Wow. It's just I, it just never ceases to amaze me when when we connect with one another and just the how many different variances of infertility they are there are even though we may share the same diagnoses you know because our bodies are different of course environmental factors uh race and ethnicity you know play a part in how our body reacts sometimes too as well so medically um, speaking that is so how was your pregnancy what was it like dealing with your pregnancy after the loss and how did you how were your a-type personality traits showing its head or rearing its uh, its ugly head <laughs> at times during your pregnancy because so much you guys had dealt with uh, in the midst of that and I can imagine that because that was your strength you found ways to try to control like every little detail uh, I imagine things yeah um so my pregnancy was one looking back on it now um and I also have a a second daughter um my girls are 23 months apart also through IVF um looking back on my pregnancy with my oldest now you know I can see 
the struggles that I had um, in that, as I said earlier, I'm someone who's really good at compartmentalizing. So, you know, when when we ultimately had to to make the decision that we made about our son, I am not exaggerating when I say that I was on a plane four days later. Um, mm. You know, that was how I dealt with things. I threw myself into things that I could control. I could control work. I could mm-hmm. control... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what my schedule was and what I was doing and what my output was. And, you know, looking back now, I just want to give that version of myself a hug and, and, and say it's okay. But at that point, I, I didn't, I didn't know any better. I didn't have the tools that I needed. And so it was a hard pregnancy because I was, um, constantly worried. I was, um, really shameful of the decisions that we had to make. Um, I actually posted a blog post about this on my blog in in August, but it took me a few years. But what I ultimately realized was that I actually never grieved my son because I felt I wasn't allowed to grieve my son because it was a decision that we had made. Um, that ultimately, um, you know, caused his death. Um, and so it was really, really hard and I didn't deal with things for the longest time. And it wasn't until my second was born and I, you know, I had this moment, it was six or three in the the morning and my husband, I was like brushing my teeth and my husband Mm -hmm. like looks at me. And was just like, are you happy? And for some reason, I just mm. blurted out the truth, which was no. And it scared him and it scared me. And I realized that I needed to get some help and I needed to just sort of figure out what I was what I was going to do. And it, it forced me to look at a lot of the things that I had never dealt with before. And, um, you know, my pregnancy um, and the decisions we made was, was a big part of that, along with my just overall journey to becoming a mom. And it was hard, like mm-hmm. really, really, really hard. But writing really helped me. Um, it's sort of how I've since learned how I process things um, and how I'm able to sort of work through a lot of what is in my head because I don't know about any of your listeners, but for me, when I'm up in my head, like my thoughts are really chaotic. There's, it's, you know, I was someone who at my worst would be, you know, up at like three in the morning, like being like, oh my God, I have nine, 9,000 things to do on my to-do list. Like it was, it's, it was really hard for me to turn my brain off. Um, and so I share that because my my pregnancy itself like I just sort of went through the motions um which makes me really sad to mm. ad- admit that now because I love my children so fiercely um but at that time it was it was the best that I could do with the tools that I had at that time and I've I've come to peace with that I don't know if that answers your question but yeah totally totally more even more so um and I love the detail that you gave so I appreciate you for sharing that what were some of the things that were 
keeping you from whole happiness apart from your loss? That's a really good question. I think that I, at that point in my life, I was someone who I think shied away from like true happiness because I was, I was afraid of it. And I know that sounds really kind of crazy to say, but I think because I lived my life with so, so much control, like you can't, you can't control happiness. Right. And so like Mm -hmm. I could control, I could control my emotions to a point and then if they got too far out of control like I stomped them back in and so I often think about that quote from Dr. Brene Brown that's you know when you're um when you're I always butcher it but it's basically like when you're stamping down the light like you're also stamping out the joy like you can't have both and I didn't realize that that's basically what I had been doing for most of my adult life. I was trying so desperately to um, maintain sort of like even keel because I couldn't deal with like the true ups and downs. And so if I'm honest with myself, I don't know if at that point in my life, you know, I was I was even letting myself truly, truly be happy. Um, I have this memory um and this might be too detailed, so apologies. But, you know, when my daughter was born, so first and foremost, she came early. Um, my mm-hmm. water broke and I hadn't had any contractions. So my water broke and I was like, I'm going to take a shower. They they tell me this is going to take a while. And so I jump in the shower and in the shower I start to have contractions. And I realize that the contractions are coming less than three minutes apart. And so I like jump out of the shower and I'm like, we got to get to the hospital. Like this is like (laughs) progressing very Mm -hmm. quickly. And so um, we live in the city of Chicago. um, And thankfully we were able to get downtown to to the hospital fairly quickly. And at that point, my contractions were – um, you know, less than less than two minutes apart by the time we got to the hospital. And I was like shaking, um, which later turns out that I um, I actually went, um, I ended up having preeclampsia, at, um, but no one no one knew that. <laughs> and the reason why I tell you all of this is because, um, it was such like this like whirlwind of a labor. But I remember the moment where they put Lucy on my chest. And at that moment, I happened to make eye contact with, with my OBGYN. And she just said to me, she's like, you have to, you, you have to deliver your son. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, with... Um, so we do that with the and then with the, the afterbirth and she, again she like makes eye contact and she's like we're just gonna send him out um, for testing and we'll we'll let you know if we learn anything else and it was one of those moments where I was so happy that I had this this child that I so desperately wanted like living and breathing on my chest but I wasn't even strong enough at that point um to even be able to like truly say goodbye to my son um 
And if I'm really honest, that's like my biggest regret in all of this is that I couldn't, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the, um, what I needed in order to, to be there in the way that I felt like I needed to. And so I just created walls. And so even though I was desperately happy that I had, you know, my daughter, um, there, I would be lying um, in this conversation if I didn't say that, you know, I did have walls built up that day in terms of not being able to truly feel joy and, ha- and like true happiness because um, I wouldn't let myself. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Jesse. I know it's not easy uh, talking about it. And um, wow. Mm. So what, what, what point? I know you had stated briefly earlier that you just had this moment where you began to realize that you can no longer function in this, this way anymore, more in this perfectionist uh, state of being, even though that's who you naturally were. And so what was it after your daughters were born and then maybe like one, one of them was, you know, three, the other one was one infant what point did you realize that you had to make a, make a change, uh, not just for yourself, but also for the life of your daughters and, and the health of your relationship with your husband? Yeah. So th- that, that is, um, that is my 603 moment, the 603 AM moment where, you know, I admitted to myself that, that I wasn't happy. And, um, my youngest was about nine months old. And so my oldest was almost two. And I, in that moment, in the moment where I admitted no, I remember, like I can like play it back to you, I remember the conversation going out of my head, which was like, oh shoot, did I really just say that? Like mm-hmm. both of us mm-hmm. had sort of like the deer in the headlight, like looks at each other. And I, and I was, I remember saying to myself, okay, you have two choices. You can like take it back and say you're joking and just continue to live the life that you've been living. Or you can be honest and figure out what it looks like if you just sort of shatter the current life you have. And that was the path I chose. Um, And I had to get help. I had to, you know, go back to therapy. I had to, um, I found a coach who was able to help me, um, you know, work through some of what I said earlier, like the stuff that I had never dealt with before, um, that I just stamped down. And when I first had a conversation with her, I remember her asking me like what my goals were. And all I said, I was like, my, my, my goal is to feel again, like the good, the bad and the ugly. And that was it. Like I just, I had gotten to a point where I'd become a shell of myself and I had, numbed myself from all of these um experiences because I could control that I could control those situations but it wasn't it wasn't making me happy right I was I was I was living for for everybody else and so um I had to go on a really difficult you know personal you know 
people call it personal development. I I like to call it like a self-discovery. I had to rediscover who the hell I was, Mm -hmm. Um, like who Jesse was without, you know, the label of a Googler, without the label of a partner, without the label of, you know, someone who went through infertility, without the label of being a mom. Like I had to really figure out who I was at the core without all of those other labels. And it was hard and it wasn't like a really, you know, it wasn't a journey that was like unicorns for me. Like I went kicking and screaming. And in part of that though, I I mentioned earlier that like writing was really cathartic for me. It was like part of my healing process. And I wrote this piece about um, standing on the L, which is the subway here in Chicago one morning. And it was a moment where I, it was a few weeks after we had had to make the decision about Clark and I was dressed as I always was dressed. Like I was commuting to work and I was looking around at everybody around me and I was staring at my reflection and I had this aha that, you know, no one would guess by looking at me, like the shit show of the last few years of my life like the infertility the failed cycles the shots the loss of our son and I realized that every single person on that train with me had their own story but so often we all wear our masks right we don't actually take those masks off very often Mm -hmm. and in writing that piece I had my aha where I was able to start to share my story and I I shared it like with myself first, right? Like I had to go through that healing for myself. And then I started to share with one, you know, one close friend or a close family member and that became, you know, a few more. And I had this aha where I realized that in having these conversations and in sharing my story, so many people told me, me too. And it wasn't as if they had their own infertility story. Some, some definitely did people were always able to connect to some part of my story, you know, either the feeling of shame, of guilt, of perfectionism, like whatever it might be. And, um, and so in, in sharing my story, I found so much community and connection, which is what I had been like craving without even realizing it. And, um, it was just, it was this empowering, amazing experience. And so that's what ultimately led me to starting my own platform um, with my own podcast is really to to create community and connection through sharing personal stories because it was so game-changing for myself as I worked through this process of, um, you know, dealing and healing with a lot of things that happened to me, but also mm-hmm. recognizing how I can gain skills to um, recognize that, like, even if I can't control things, there's still magic in that, which has been a very hard journey and and lesson, but I'm glad that I am on the path of learning it. Mm-hmm. So would you say that, well, what I'm hearing is that in stripping down and figuring out exactly who you are now after all of these things, and so you would would you describe yourself as being not only more strong and liberated, but also finding was it more like finding vulnerability 
Yeah, I, it was exactly that, right? It was, you know, I often joke that, like, I'm a big fan of Dr. Brene Brown. I've, I've mentioned her a few times now, but I, it took me, like, reading her books three different times. Like, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then, you know, it, it was like I had such a thick skin, but, like, it was that, right? It was recognizing that when you are able to be vulnerable, even if it's just to yourself, right? Like even if you are like truly honest with yourself and be vulnerable with yourself, like it's such a gift. It's a gift that you're giving to yourself, but it's a gift that you're giving to whoever is on the other side and receiving that. And to me, that is how true connection is formed. That is where empathy is born. And it's also my experience has been one of of empowerment. You know, I get often asked, like, how do you have the courage to share your story? I actually literally just got asked that by a friend like three hours ago today. And, you know, I often think that people assume that, you know, I'm sharing my story with, with people. Um, but I had to start with like sharing it with myself. Like I had to get really honest with myself and in that it was super empowering. And what I realized was that, you know, I've had so many moments in my life where I felt isolated or alone. And, you know, my journey to becoming a mom was, there was lots of them on that path. And I often was, you know, frustrated that I didn't feel like I had community in experiencing what I experienced. But I didn't have community because I wasn't willing to like seek it out. I wasn't willing to sh- to to share my own story, and so I I just sort of created this like shell. And so, yeah, I think that like vulnerability has been a, a huge leaning into vulnerability, as scary and as um, terrifying as it can be at times, has been a huge part of my journey, personally. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's one of the major lessons I learned too. Uh, much like yourself, I immersed myself in, in my work life, you know, in staying fit and making sure my body could carry this baby. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I resonate with a lot of what you said. It's like you're almost this type of person that is all in or nothing. You You don't have a great area about the things you choose to be passionate about and also put hard work into. So I get it, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand what the transition and the evolution of of it all is like. Uh, It's it's definitely scary and it's still scary. Do you find it still being scary putting yourself out there, whether it's with yourself and being honest about where you are and when you're having a hard day as a mom now and I should be grateful that I have these children, but they're driving me insane with these tantrums and stuff, you know, <laughs> we just beat ourselves up. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrifying sometimes mm-hmm. still because, you know, one of my big whys in life and one of my big passions, right, is, is the ability to create community and connection through sharing personal stories, because I truly believe that that breeds empathy. But I think it would be silly to assume that like everyone is at that point. And so every time I share my story, you know, I am terrified of, of judgment. I'm 
you know, of there's a true fear of, you know, what people are going to think about my story. But I have to remind myself that, you know, it's, it's not about what others think. It's about what I think. And I think one of the reasons why I say I'm a recovering perfectionist, right, is when I was really into my perfectionist tendencies, it was because I was so worried about what everyone else thought, right? Like I felt if I could control all of those things, then I would be like, quote unquote, you know, perfect. Um, but I've learned, and it, this is, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm perfect at this by any means. I've learned that embracing the messiness, embracing the things that I've been through on my journey make me uniquely me. And frankly, um, it's, that's what I want to pass on to my kids. And, you know, they're, while I love my children desperately, um, they, they do drive me insane, you know, and, and I think it's okay to admit that whether other people are willing to or not, that's not, you know, my place to judge them, but I'm, willing to to sit there and say you know this is my truth my truth is I'm having a bad day and this is why and more my truth is I need help and I'm 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 comfortable enough now in my skin to ask for it which Mm -hmm. I don't think I could have said you know six years ago yeah 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 and so since your podcast is called this is my truth (laughs) so what is your truth now Oh, I love that question. No one asked me my truth. <laughs> you know, my truth is is that I am doing everything I can to be the best version of myself every day. And there are days that I am more successful at it than others. But what I want my girls to learn is that they are like we're all human and I want them to be able to embrace their emotions I don't want them to shove them down like I did for so long Mm -hmm. I want them to be able to you know have conversations with people who may not have the same views or beliefs as them but be able to still um, be an active listener and and you know, walk away from that conversation, maybe learning something. I, but in order for, for them to do those things, I need to do those things. Mm -hmm. And so that's what my truth is, is that I have recognized that I need to be the role model. I need to be the person that I want to see in the world for my children so that they can learn from me. Wonderful, and I think we can all take away something from that. Uh, no matter where we where we are uh, in our past to parenthood, or if we are newly um, pregnant and and or just still listening to the podcast, and you're already pregnant now, so you know, um, I I I think that the other thing that I'm hearing through your interview, Jesse, is that. You know, we just got to give ourselves a little bit more grace and a little bit more be and more empathetic with ourselves, too. And it's so easy to do it for someone else to hold space for someone else. But it's uh, increasingly difficult, especially now with stressful times around us to be that way with ourselves and to do that for ourselves. And 
just have those moments of uh, self-reflection and re- realizing, recognizing when we need help, you know, or community to support us. Yeah. So tell us how we can connect with you online. Yes, um, you can reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at This Is My Truth Podcast. I love connecting with listeners. It's frankly one of my favorite things to do. Um, so if you know my story resonates with you, I would love to connect. Um, you can also find me on my podcast, This Is My Truth, which is available on all major um, podcast listening platforms. And then you can also find me on my website at www.jessysherleff. That's J-E-S-S-I-S-H-U-R-A-L-E-F-F.com. It's a mouthful. Apologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, for, for any listeners out there, where, where, wherever you are on your journey, um, I just want to say I, I can very much, you know, empathize and see you where you are and regardless of where you are and what you are comfortable sharing, um, you have a community when, when you are ready. And I'm so grateful. I will, I will start how I, or I'll end how I started the, the conversation, Monique, in that I'm grateful for communities like yours that create space for this because I often say I, I wish I had something like this when, when I was going through my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I would have been brave enough to, to participate, to be honest, yeah. um, at yeah. that point, but I am grateful to know that, that communities like this exist. So thank you. Thank you, Jesse, so very much for just standing in your truth and being uh, vulnerable with us here today. I know that we all could use a little more connection these days uh, in the midst of COVID. And here we are in March, and um, <laughs> we haven't seemed to move much further than we did when COVID started a year ago, you know, from a from a standpoint of it as a nation and dealing with COVID. And so... Um, yeah, you guys reach out to Jess, listen to our podcast, great content there as well. Um, and also follow her on Instagram. And if your story sounds similar to hers, reach out to her, send her DMs, slide into the DMs, you know, ask her a question <laughs> or two or something, you know. Just never know what somebody uh, what somebody can help you with. And so thank you again, Jesse, so much. And thank you, friends, for listening to Infertility and Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend. Take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.